guys, and welcome back to the Feminist Talk. My name is Dakota, and I am majoring in Environmental Studies. I'm a freshman here at the University of Central Florida. Hi, I'm Frida. I'm an Environmental Studies major. I'm a senior at UCF. I'm Justin. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a junior here at UCF, uh, Environmental Studies major. Hi, I'm Juana. I'm a junior here at UCF, and I'm majoring in Political Science, and I'm minoring in Environmental Studies. On this week's episode, we are going to dive into an examination of ecofeminist activism, what ecofeminist activism actually looks like, and what an ecofeminist movement would do. So, we need to give you a little bit of background information. Um, I'm going to start off with talking about um, women in activism, like and in history. So, um, to begin with, I think it's important to note um, that a lot of the political changes and um, and forces that go against um, industry and um, big corporations and capitalism do start off with grassroots movements, which grassroots movements are basically so. Which grassroots grassroots movements um, is basically when people like in a community or locals are given reign and take on a political or economic movement. Um, so this can either affect local, regional, or national, even international level of either like policy or, or change that they would like to implement. But it basically means that um, leaders are like at a local level. So the way that I wanted to basically talk about this or incorporate this into activism and why I think it's important to mention is because um, usually it's those people that are bringing about change and as seen throughout history in terms of um, like feminist activism, we can see it in examples such as either the abolitionist movement or even in modern times, the Me Too movement um, which the Me Too movement started with um, an activist called uh, Tarana Burke, who is a social activist that basically began the phrase Me Too in 2006 through MySpace, um, which basically empowers women to um, stand up for themselves, um, especially women who have been um, sexually abused. And it's a lot of the times women of color. So I think it's important to just realize how uh, feminism plays a role like in activism in or in general and how uh, women in grassroots movements really are um, some of the main forces and drivers behind uh, policy change. And then I think it's also important to mention another example um, in a reading that we had assigned for this class. Um, the reading mentioned how, well, the reading was about a woman that had accidentally fallen to her death and nobody had noticed. Um, and then within that reading, there was a mention of how Navajo tribes, especially Navajo women, are the heart behind the movement that stops big um, industries from drilling oil all throughout the lands in Canada. So, um, yeah, basically, just to put it into context, women in grassroots movements and through local movements are basically a force to be reckoned with, and they bring about um, a whole lot of change, and it's important to realize that um, 
it's not always a white man in power that is in charge of making policy changes. It really starts off at a local level. So now to get on to what ecofeminism is. So ecofeminism is a relatively new term, I would say, but it grew out of radical or cultural um, feminism rather than liberal feminism. Um, in the mid-1970s, um, many radical cultural feminists experienced the exhilarating discovery through historic and archaeological sources of a religion that honored the female and seemed to have as its good book, Nature Itself, is basically word for word. Um, but ecofeminist activism doesn't work for just one cause. It is like applying the principles of ecofeminism to all types of activism. Um, so movements such as Black Lives Matter, climate change, how gender lens, um, how gender, we can apply gender lens to these movements. So early feminist environmental philosophy focused more on the ethical perspective of connections between women and nature. And then as it grew on, it's um, putting a gender lens on more than just uh, nature and more than just climate activists, like more activism than just eco terms. For example, feminists are fighting against the privatization of water. Uh, privatizing water takes away a whole family source of fresh water in order to make a profit. Um, and you can see this in many, um, in many dams being built around water being controlled and, and the water being controlled. Uh, this doesn't have much of an effect on developed countries like, the, like us here in the United States, but um, all we have to do is pick up the, yeah, the phone and um, it is as simple as that, and for those who live in a third world country, it isn't the same. Um, their sources of water is just ripped out of their hands. Uh, this can be det uh, detrimental to the health of these people, especially children, um, also especially in hot places where water already is a very s scarce commodity. And for a real life example, uh, we have Autumn Peltier. Uh, she's a 16 year old indigenous girl from Canada. Uh, she is better known as a water, water warrior or water protector because she is one of the many fighters who is advocating for universal access to clean water. Uh, Peltier states that she was born a caretaker uh, of this land and she was raised to respect all things and that they believe water is life and it has a spirit. And that kind of shows the uh, some of the things we've learned about uh, ecofeminism that is usually that they state a connection to nature. Uh, and I don't know, I think that was um, in one of her last interviews, uh, she mentioned that. And I saw a bunch of her other interviews and she also kind of states the same thing where she connects herself to nature. And that's one of the many reasons why she chooses to fight for uh, water and water access. Uh, she gained worldwide recognition in 2016 for criticizing the prime minister of Canada, Justin Trudeau for his support of pipeline projects that would threaten the First Nation communities of Canada. Uh, however, Peltier's uh, career begins much earlier when she was uh, only eight years old and at age 14, she became the chief water commissioner for the Anishinaabeg Nation, a position she still holds today. And she represents more than 40 First Nations of Ontario. And her job includes advocating for water rights and indigenous communities and uh, in her role, she also visits other uh, First Nation communities and talks with the leaders. And she also does most of her advocating on social media, which is something 
that's kind of different from previous uh, feminist movements where they didn't have access to social media. And so they couldn't maybe spread their message as uh, it wasn't as widespread. And I also think this is a great example of um, young people as well being more um, apt to activism. Nowadays, you see a lot of young people including women, young women, fighting for change more than you see older people. And Mm -hmm. I'm an example of that because I am a part of a climate coalition and I'm 18. We organized climate strikes and our oldest member is 21. So we're all young. We're all, some still in high school, some in college, fighting for climate change and policy change. So I believe it's kind of an amazing thing that young people are coming together. For example, Greta Thunberg is super young, but she made a worldwide international impact on everyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I think that's a great point. And I also think it's important to mention um, how social media plays a huge role in um, activism nowadays, uh, especially with, as we were talking about the youth, because um it's so it makes it so much easier and it facilitates the ability to spread a message and um, get your point across to literally thousands of people all across um, borders like it really is a great tool that we have nowadays and it's a super crucial part of activism so i think that's very important to mention um and speaking of um our own activisms, Dakota, as you have mentioned, um, that you're in this um, group that um, does activism. I think that now we should move on to talk about how we individually um, pursue some type of activism, how activism plays a role in our life. And um, and we're going to talk about uh, this notion of imperfect activism that we have seen through a TED talk that was given by um, Julia Mason on an ecofeminist perspective. I guess I'll start off with this. So to expand on what I said previously, um, this is Dakota talking, by the way. (laughs) Um, I am a part of a climate coalition. It's called Palm Beach for Planet. Um, So basically what we do as young activists, we organize climate strikes and beach cleanups, mangrove cleanups, stuff like that. Um, It's a really cool thing to see how young people can make such a change because we've had, we've made the covers of so many magazines, newspapers on the news because one of our climate strikes got thousands of people out of their homes to come march with us to demand change. And it's cool because this is also an example of grassroots movement because we are young, we are the grassroots movement to help make policy change. And um, it also gives us experience with the law as well, I would say, because we have to get permits to um, strike in certain areas and we get the police involved to help us. Um, And also we are starting to um, create a bill for Palm Beach County to ban um, single-use plastics. So it really gives us as young people the respect that um, we deserve, being able to show people the impact that we can make. 
So um, I think that's such a great example um, of not only a grassroots movement that pushes um, policy change at a community at a community level, um, but I also think like relating back to the video of imperfect activism, I think that's a really great example of kind of a major incorporation of um, activism like within your life. Um, but tying back to the imperfect activism, there's also, um, I just want to mention that there's also like smaller ways that like somebody can get involved um, in terms of either, like in terms of um, like making the world a more sustainable place to live, not only for um, the environment itself, but also for women and minorities. Um, so I feel like, okay, we can now give our own examples. Um, okay, so I think a very, um, like, basic example, it's basic, but I think it's still extremely valid, is just, like, small ways of incorporating, um, like, sustainable practices within your own life, whether it be, like, reducing, reusing, and recycling, like, it, as simple as that, or um, cutting out single-use plastics within your own life, um, it, I remember there was a super popular movement where um, people stopped getting straws from Starbucks and they were um, like using their own metal straws like for their drinks. So I think that's a really great way of like making small steps to incorporate um, like like changes within your life. And at the end of the day, it, it is considered activism. Like it is an imperfect activism. Like you are um, like striving to make a change, like whether it be at a micro scale, like it, it still counts and it's still valid. So I think that's uh, worth like mentioning. So. Yeah, I think that's a great, uh, great, good example. I know if anyone's on any of you are on campus, but uh, you know, sustainability initiatives on UCF, they do a bunch of great things and just showing support for them and what they're trying to do on campus. And just instead of throwing your, your trash, your Huey Magoo's into the, you know, just trash can, you'll separate it out for someone to recycling. Don't grab that straw. Don't use extra napkins for no reason kind of thing and use a, you know, hand, or blow hand dryer or something. Um, and just stuff like that is just things you could do. And like you're saying, very simple everyday steps that can really make a difference. Cause I mean, how many people go to UCF? 50,000 or whatever. Um, I know it's kind of a weird example since we're not there right now, but <laughs> <laughs> even going shopping or something like that could um, really, really make an impact over the course of a long time. Mm -hmm. And I want to add a little bit onto that because I have a little bit of a different understanding of imperfect activism. Um, so I think that's one side, but I think also another side of imperfect activism is maybe like sharing an Instagram post, but not actually really like doing anything about it, you know? So there's like little steps that people can take, but then they don't follow up with it or go any further. So I think that's also part of imperfect activism, um, but not the Instagram post where like it raises money towards a certain thing if you share it, but more of like, like climate change is bad you post that on your instagram and then you don't do anything about it you you're know? talking about performative activism yeah yeah so um i think there is a like fine line i guess between performative activism and um imperfect activism because i think performative activism is when you kind of like put out an image to like your peers or or I guess your followers on Instagram to make it seem as if you cared about a subject just because it's popular like during that time period 
but I think imperfect activism is actually caring and following uh, and doing something about uh, like the passion or what it is that you care about. So um, if it's, for example, for the Black Lives Matter movement, um, I saw a lot of people either posting the black squares on their Instagrams or reposting um, a post one day, which is fine. But in terms of performative activism, um, I guess the difference would be like performative activists are just posting that and then doing nothing about their day and like, and not like it doesn't impact them at all. And, you know, but the like people that take it a step further are the ones that go ahead and sign petitions or the ones that go out and vote or, or attend um, the, what are they called? The, the walks or, or the protests or attend the Black Lives Matter. So I think there's um, a fine line between performative activism and then imperfect activism. I feel like imperfect activism is uh, making small steps in like doing what you can to make a change versus performative activism, which is literally just um, just showcasing as if you cared, but when you actually don't. I agree. Um, so going back to the thing you said about the small steps we can all take. Um, so I'm vegan and me and my sister are vegan. So I don't really take part in any like formal activism, but when I'm in like family gatherings or I'm with my friends, I'm usually the one to tell them about like how bad the meat industry is, the dairy industry and all the problems associated with it, uh, things they can do to maybe reduce their carbon footprint and things like that. So usually like my family hasn't stopped eating meat or anything, but they definitely have cut back a little bit on their consumption of dairy products and maybe a little bit of their meat products. And when we go to the store, I try to grab like all the package free stuff and tell them about it and tell them why it's like wrong to grab things in plastic and things like that. And I think that's super important and mm -hmm. valid and should be noted as um, what it is like imperfect activism, because although you're not um, seeking to make any major, even like local or, or community changes, it, it starts within your own family. And mm -hmm. um I think that that's a really great way to even make like small changes that can eventually lead to even bigger changes. So I think that's a really great example. That yeah, yeah, I think the biggest thing is that, you know, the activism, the, the action part is really the biggest part there. And the, the fact that you're doing that and making those steps is, you know, that's that's the part and the imperfect part just comes you know, accidentally, right? It's as long mm -hmm. as you're doing something, then you might just happen to do it. But uh, we're not all leading coalitions to, to save exactly. the world and, and groups and we can all we could all do things, these things. Mm -hmm. So an article written by the Equal Times um, that discusses why the world needs an African ecofeminist future goes in depth on talking on how intersectional ecofeminism um, basically brings to light how the importance of gender, race, class, and how the interlinking of those issues with feminism um, overall deals with the concern of human oppressions within a patriarchy. And this deals with not only um, how women are oppressed within um, a patriarchy, but also how the natural environment is exploited within this type of system and um, how this 
article basically says that women are often more reliant upon, but also the guardians of the natural environment um, in many different cultural contexts. Um, an example that was given is a African. Um, okay, yeah, okay. An example that was given was through um, an African ecofeminist collective movement um, that was led by Wangari Mathai, who is a very notable figure within the movement. Um, and she was the first environmentalist to win a Nobel Peace Prize in 2004. Um, and basically, she highlights the relationship between African feminism and African ecological activism, um, which not only challenges the patriarchal and neocolonial structure that's embedded within the continent of Africa, but it also um, basically covers how women are mistreated within the, these systems of oppression. I also want to mention that Wangari was also the first African-American woman to receive a Nobel Peace Prize. Um, and I have this quote here from Gloria Stein Steinem. It basically says, Wangari is a rare leader who knows how to create independence, not dependence. On the page as in person, her example makes each of us a little stronger, wiser, and braver than we ever thought we could be. And I believe this quote really it really applies to all eco-feminism activism because being a feminist myself, it empowers me to do great things. And I feel like with everybody's heads in the clouds, being having the idea that they're strong, it all comes together to create great movements, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, no, it definitely does. A stronger movement and more unity, I guess. Wangari Maathai. Um, yeah, so she was known for doing uh, the movement called the Green Belt Movement, which was planting, uh, just really just going out and planting trees uh, in order to reclaim what was taken by, uh, she goes in the book that I specifically read called Embowed, um, that was taken over by people who came into her town and essentially just cleared all the crops and planted their own. Um, so she started moving to plant all these trees to reclaim the natural habitat. And she did this not just as um, ecological activist when she wholeheartedly is, but she did it in a way that engaged the culture and engaged other women around her who were also being oppressed by um, these Westerners, she calls them, and they came in and uh, really took control and demanded a lot from their land. Um, but she got to the heart of the community and her um, family and friends around her and really became what, you know, people are, you know, everyone would agree that she's very much an eco-feminist because of her, um, the way she related the natural world around her to everyday culture of her life and of her family's lives. In terms of um, these activists and women that are fighting back on the front lines, um, they're demanding both gender and economic justice. So these are issues that not only affect local and even state or national communities, it also affects us internationally um, and at a global scale. So um, an example that I wanna 
hone in on would be um, ecofeminism in Africa um, and how African women are um, basically often at the heart of communities that deal with these huge challenges that are related to economic development. And um, they basically have to face on the burden of environmental mismanagement. Um, so an example that was given through the article um, of the Equal Times was that there's a huge, recently there has been a huge concern for um, crop biodiversity since 75% of it has been lost within the 20th century, according to the UN Food and Agriculture Organization. Um, and this trend only keeps continuing. So in the last decade, for example, Europe and Central Asia have seen 42% of their territorial animal and plant species decline in population size. And a lot of it is, or at least in partiality, is due to intensive agriculture and forestry practices um, that are unsustainable and lead to more natural resources being consumed than produced. So, um, so given the situation and with the current green revolution um, as seen in Europe and the United States, basically there has been a switch or a shift from subsistence agriculture to industrial farming, um, cash cropping and monocropping remain at the forefront, which means that it basically focuses on, like crops are based off of economic growth and food security, um, which plays a huge role in the loss of biodiversity because it basically means that um, the crops that are being produced are just to be able to feed people, not necessarily to, um, to have like a, a certain range of, of biodiversity. So, in a specific situation or in a specific example um, as seen in Africa with African women um, who are often central to domestic food production. Um, and this ties back to an article that uh, was assigned. In Africa, women are central to the domestic food production. And this ties back to an article that we had read in class or that we had assigned through class because um, it basically covers how there actually are or there is a great portion of women farmers and of women that take on the role of um, of the farming industry. So um, the situation that's happening in Africa uh, relates to seed sovereignty, um, which plays a huge role in ecofeminism because basically um, indigenous women, okay, so basically uh, commercial seed capture is on the rise um, in Africa because as I have discussed before, basically like there's a huge emphasis on making sure that people are able to eat and like suffice to eat instead of like uh, focusing on like crop biodiversity. So basically um, the these commercial seeds are hybrid seeds, hybrid seeds that are aimed at maximizing the yields um, because that's what is being prioritized. And the reason why this is problematic and why these hybrid seeds um, are unsustainable is because they can't be replanted, which means that farmers have to buy new ones each season. 
So through this, farmers lose their autonomy um, and women who've been custodians of seed knowledge for centuries are disempowered, essentially. So um, the, the, commercial, oh my God, the commercialization of seeds um, is therefore just reducing the variety and it's undermining the climate resilience of um, and compromising food sovereignty of um, multinational markets. So to round this episode out, we just want to mention a few things for Food for Thought and a few statements. So ecofeminism helps us see that we are all connected, that divisions such as human and non-human are false binaries. Ecofeminism is a movement that sees a connection between the exploitation and degradation of the natural world and the subordination and oppression of women. Women are the revolution our planet needs. Without liberating women, especially women of color, and without aiming at social justice in parallel with environmental justice, the revolution may never happen. And those that I just said came from Najee, so thank you for giving us those notes. So to end things out, I just wanted to say that um, you guys should think about your impact as an individual, um, not only on this planet, but on other people and those around you and consider means of incorporating imperfect activism within your life and striving for a greater uh, a greater standing of living amongst us. Okay, so um, we just want to remind you guys that it's important to um, know that small changes, small changes are still important, uh, no matter how small they are. So if you can change something uh, about your life, how you're currently living and make it more sustainable or maybe teach others about something you know, then that's still making change forward and it's gonna get us somewhere eventually. So we just gotta start small. Thank you guys for listening to this episode so much. And again, I'm Dakota. I'm Frida. I'm Justin. And I'm Juana. And we'll see you guys in next week's episode. Bye. Bye. Bye.